please join me in the book of Exodus. After a two-month hiatus, we are back in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 11 is our passage for this morning. The book of Exodus is all about God. God's sovereignty over all things is unmissable in this book. You cannot possibly read the book of Exodus and go, oh, it sure would be nice if God were in control. God is in control. The book began with the accounting of Jacob and his family entering Egypt, and you recall the circumstances. There was a prolonged famine in, um, in what we know of as the nation of Israel, but Egypt had stored up land. Do you remember why? Because God had sent Joseph ahead through horrible circumstances, being um, wanting to be murdered by his, uh, that didn't come out right, he didn't want to be murdered, his brothers wanted to murder him, is what it was, and they ended up selling him into slavery, he makes his way into Egypt, and because God was with him, because God gave him supernatural insight into being able to interpret dreams, he ends up becoming number two in all of the land, and remember the dream? The dream that Pharaoh had of seven fat cows and seven sickly cows and that it meant there was going to be seven years of plenty, store up food because there's going to be seven years of famine. And that's how God moved Jacob and his family. It says about 70 people moved into Egypt and and they prospered. Egypt was their salvation. There was food. They were able to live there, but over time. The next pharaohs came into power who did not remember Joseph, who did not remember how, uh, how Joseph, this, this Hebrew man, had played such a key role in the, uh, in the prosperity of the, the land of Egypt. And as the people of Israel grew, they became enslaved. Centuries have passed. The Israelites have grown in number and in might. And despite all of the ways that the various pharaohs are trying to hold the Hebrew people back, what happens? God blesses them. They continue to grow. They continue to, uh, to be more numerous in population, and, and it makes Pharaoh afraid. Through all that, God has a plan, and he's making it happen just as he wants it to happen. He raises up Moses even though Pharaoh's trying to kill all the baby boys, he raises up Moses and remember puts Moses in Pharaoh's own household. Isn't that awesome? You cannot miss the sovereignty of God in the book of Exodus. He is sovereign over all people. You also can't miss that he's sovereign over nature. Moses experienced that firsthand as God was getting his attention. Remember, this is chapter 3 where uh, the, the burning bush is happening. There's this little bush in the field, and it's on fire, but it's not being consumed, and it gets Moses' attention, as it would any of us. And God just very quietly speaks to him out of that bush and, and commissions him to be the leader of Israel, to free them from Egypt. God is supreme over all people and nature and over all other gods and we've been seeing that in the plagues we've gone through the first nine these plagues were a direct assault on Egypt's gods and with each one of them all of Egypt knew that their gods were inferior to Moses and his god last time we were in Exodus 
We ended chapter 10 with Pharaoh threatening Moses. Take care to never see my face again, he says, for on that day you shall die. And Moses agreed. Moses concurred with that, with that statement. So the conversation that we see in chapter 11, that we're going to read in just a moment, the conversation that we see in chapter 11 immediately follows the end of chapter 10. So chapter 10, uh, Moses says, no, you won't see my face again. He doesn't leave. He's still there, and the conversation is still going on. And knowing that helps make more sense out of this chapter. Uh, so I invite you to read along with me. Exodus chapter 11, and we'll read the whole chapter. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask, every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor, for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never has been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel." And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great and mighty power, how you control all things, how nothing happens that surprises you, nothing happens outside of your decree. Lord, there are lots of ways that that is a struggle for us to understand. We struggle because we are finite and you are eternal. We struggle because our understanding is marred by the curse of sin and you are perfectly holy. So Father, we confess to you our inability. We confess to you our weakness this morning. We ask that you would help us. Help us understand who you are. Help us to understand how you want to work in our lives as we uh, read the way that you've worked in Moses' life, in Pharaoh's life, and in the lives of all the Egyptians and Israelites. Lord, help us surrender and submit to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to see more examples of God being sovereign over people. God having power over individuals. And we're going to notice how Pharaoh acts exactly according to God's plan even though it's sin. We're going to see how Moses' actions, how even his feelings align with God's plan. And from that, Lord willing, we'll see how God wants to use us to 
help us to grow to be more like him as well. Now, I tried to lay out for you a, a little remembrance of what had gone on before. Um, I've, as I was studying for this passage, I'm like, I need to remember what's going on. If I need to remember, you probably need to remember too. Uh, so it's good to rehash a little bit of the book of Exodus. Um, to be honest, these first few verses were very confusing at first because it really seemed like the conversation with Pharaoh and Moses was over. But you look into it, it, it becomes apparent that this is something that is to be set aside. Either as Moses is speaking to Pharaoh, God is superimposing his conversation into uh, Moses' head, or this actually happened prior to. I kind of think it happened prior to. There, um, the ancient Hebrew language doesn't have uh, all the same verb tenses that we have. If we were recording this, we probably would have written verse 1 as this. The Lord had said to Moses. So in the past, at some undetermined time, the Lord had said, yet one more plague I'm going to bring upon Pharaoh. This may have happened while the darkness was going on. Remember the, the ninth plague was, was three days of darkness that was uh, so thick you could feel it. You couldn't see anything, couldn't do anything, and yet miraculously all the Israelites could see and do whatever they wanted in that same time period. Perhaps it was, and we're not told, uh, but, but this is clearly separated from what we see beginning in verse 4 and the next several verses as he continues to converse with, uh, with Pharaoh. So when the plagues began, God did not tell Moses how many there would be. Moses had no idea how long this was going to stretch out. He did tell him that it was going to end with, uh, with a great calamity, but, but Moses didn't know, is, okay, is that going to be two plagues, three plagues, 70 plagues? Who knows? Well, now Moses knows. Just one more. Can you imagine if you knew that you just had to go through one more bad thing and everything would be better? I think there's a reason God withholds that knowledge from us. As for Moses, he's told there's one more. Notice especially in verse 3 um, that Pharaoh, also verse 2, but Pharaoh who is, is revered highly in his culture, even to the status of being a God, that Pharaoh has been unsuccessful in negotiating even one little detail with Moses. Remember, uh, from, from the beginning when Moses approached Pharaoh, uh, he said, the, God has declared, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, okay, well, let the men go. Remember that? And, and Moses like, no, we're taking our men, we're taking our women, we're taking the old people, we're taking the children, we're even taking our cattle, we're taking everything because we need to go worship the Lord. And another time, Pharaoh says, okay, you go, but, but leave your cattle. Uh, so you've got a reason to come back, uh, sensibly is what he was thinking. And, and Moses just never gives in to a single demand that Pharaoh tries to make, any kind of compromise that Pharaoh tries to make. But in this time, in this same period of time, Moses has gained a very positive reputation among the people. Not only among the Israelites, but throughout the land of Egypt. Even among the servants of Pharaoh, those who work in the palace, those who are the close advisors of Pharaoh, they have all seen up close how Moses has outmaneuvered and overpowered Pharaoh every time, every single 
time. So the Egyptians have seen how the God of Israel is greater than all the gods of Egypt. So in verses 4 and 5, the conversation from chapter 10 continues. So Moses is speaking to Pharaoh. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I, I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Now that repetition of I is probably not found in your English translation. It's not found in mine. Uh, Maybe you have a translation that says I, even I. In the Hebrew, it's very evident that as God is speaking, he's making an emphasis, a declaration that I am going to do this. I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, so he'd be the the highest man in all of the land, to uh, the the slave girl who's behind the handmill. Of the places to be a servant, of the places to be a slave, being behind the handmill, that's the lowest rung on the ladder. That's that's the the expression that, that he's given here, that from the absolute greatest to the absolute least, everyone will lose their firstborn. Now think about that. All in one night. In fact, when we get to it later, the scripture records that, that of those who did not have the blood on the door, so the houses of Egypt, all the houses of Egypt, there was not one house where there was not at least one person dead. That's huge. And this isn't a surprise. Moses has this message from God to tell Pharaoh right here. This is going to happen. All the firstborn is going to... Why is he telling them? It's an opportunity to change, isn't it? It's a legit opportunity for all of Egypt to go with Israel and say, well, no, we're going to worship your God because we don't want everyone to die. It's an opportunity to respond. The previous plagues were all supercharged natural events. Here's what I mean by that. When the Nile turned to blood, that's the Nile's a natural thing. It turned to blood. Now, that's supernatural, uh, but it's still kind of a third party. It's not God himself. Yes, God did it, but it's not God himself. The frogs, the gnats, the flies, this is all nature coming in and really being a a pest to the people. The the pestilence that killed the Egyptian livestock, some uh, just natural form of death could have very well happened, however the Lord did it. The Lord did it, but he's making a distinction between all the previous ones, the boils on the people's flesh, the hail that killed uh, the animals and the slaves that are out in the field that killed so much of the the green plants, the locusts, even the darkness. All these are nature being supercharged by God to be the plague. But number 10, the 10th plague, the last, the final plague, God himself is going to go through the land killing all the firstborn of the people and the livestock. The Egyptians could not withstand the elements of nature. The Nile, the frogs, the insects, the hail. 
They could not do anything about the disease that killed so many animals. They could not do anything about the weather, the hail killing everything that was unsheltered. How could they possibly stand against a direct assault from God? Obviously, they can't. By the way, when God desires to do a work in your life, how can you possibly stand against that which he decrees? We're seeing it with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We saw it in more detail with Moses. God desired to put Moses in a leadership position and Moses resisted, and who won? Right? God's decree stood firm, and Moses became the leader of Israel. Could that have been a little easier on Moses if he'd have just said yes the first time? Probably. It's true for us as well. What's God trying to do in your life that you are resisting? Stop. Just don't resist. There's so much more joy found in surrendering to God than resisting him. So in verses was it three and four? We have the, the devastation foretold, the death of the firstborn. Verses six or seven, we have the distinction foretold that, that Israel would be distinct from Egypt once again. There will be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt such as there never has been nor ever will be again. I'm sure that's true. But here's the distinction, verse 7. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. By the way, that's what dogs do. Unless it's your dog, it doesn't growl at you. But dogs tend to growl at people they don't know. That's not going to happen. Either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So not only would the, have the Israelites been exempt from some of the plagues, Remember we talked about that as we went through each plague. They're going to be exempt from this one when they follow in obedience to God. We'll get to that in a later message. But even the animal kingdom is going to act differently to the Israelites. Egypt will know that Israel's God is the one true God. Verses 8 through 10, we see the departure And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. So uh, the, the administration of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's servants, are going to tell Moses and all of Israel to get out, every one of you, leave. And the sentence continues, And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Have we heard that before? Yep, yep. Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. I still struggle some to fully understand how God tells Pharaoh, let my people go all the while hardening his heart so he won't let the people go. Do you struggle with that? Do a little. 
I mean, I know God is good. I know he's right and he's just in all that he does. Okay? So I believe that God is good when he's telling Pharaoh, let my people go, but also making him stubborn so that he won't. Take a look at our own lives. Has God hardened your heart? If he has not, praise him. By the way, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and he hasn't hardened your heart, he's actually taken your sinful heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh, spiritually, metaphorically speaking, so that you can be alive to him. See, when we talk more about the sovereignty of God over people and we see how he directs the good and the bad, it ought to bring real genuine humility in our hearts. It ought to bring real genuine adoration to him because he has blessed us, calling us to himself. Back to our passage. The end of verse nine. Nope. End of verse 8, sorry, just before verse 9. And Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Why is Moses angry? When I first started studying this passage, when I first read that, I honestly thought it was Pharaoh who was angry. And he went out in hot anger. Uh, it would be a bit odd because of the wording. The way it's worded, it's a bit odd if that were supposed to mean Pharaoh. Uh, but it does make sense for Pharaoh to be angry. In fact, we know Pharaoh is angry. We don't have to guess about that. At the end of chapter 10, uh, verses 28 through 29, Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me, take care to never see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, you will not, I will not see your face again. We know Pharaoh is angry. Today's passage is that same conversation just continued. I believe what we're witnessing in Moses' hot anger is the significant maturing that Moses has experienced over time. Go back with me in your mind to chapter three, the burning bush. When God initially calls Moses to lead the people of Israel, Moses is shy. Moses is timid. He's unsure of himself. In fact, in his frustration, he says, just send someone else. I don't want to do it. He has no confidence that he can speak, much less lead Israel or confront Pharaoh. And even though God did consent in sending Aaron, remember he said, um, I will send Aaron to be your voice. What we see is Moses speaking boldly to Pharaoh. We see a very different Moses than we saw a few chapters ago, don't we? What we see is Moses being the very voice of God. Look back with me at verse 4. Uh, thus, uh, we've got a direct quote of, from Jehovah to Pharaoh through Moses. Verse 4 says, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, at about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. He is speaking for God. And somewhere between verse 4 and the start of verse 8, the first person I, or me, the first person of this conversation switches from being that of God and being that of Moses. Because when we get to verse 8, Moses says, and all these your servants, 
perhaps gesturing to, to the, the administration that was around Pharaoh. He said, and these your servants will come to me and bow down saying, get out. Who's the me in that verse? It's not God anymore. It's Moses. So somewhere between verses 4 and 8, even though Moses is speaking for God, he's the I, the me, the first person of the conversation switches from being that of God as he delivers this message from God and it becomes Moses. In my Bible, uh, the editors added quotation marks at the end of verse 7 to indicate the end of God's message and the start of Moses' message. Those quotation marks are not original with the text. Um, the, the, that's where editors have decided. Maybe in your Bible, it's, it's somewhere else. That's okay. Uh, I'm not here to disagree with their placement, whether it's here, there, or anywhere. But the point I want to make is that the transition point between Moses speaking for God and Moses speaking for himself is actually not clear in the text. Part of the reason for that is because Moses' desires are so in tune with Jehovah that his message and God's message become indistinguishable from each other. By the way, another classic example of this happening is John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, we have the account of Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. And somewhere that story ends before verse 16, that verse that we know so well where John is talking and it's no longer Nicodemus and Jesus. And where does that, where does that transition take place? We don't know. Somewhere in chapter three, the, the, the events of Nicodemus and Jesus end and the, the, the scripture continues through John. Um, so we, we have this happening here. And part of it is because Moses is so in tune with God that his message, his feelings, his thoughts are, are just identical with what God would communicate and does communicate. When Moses finishes his direct quote of God, he didn't add, whew, that was a doozy, don't shoot the messenger. Have you ever done that? You have to give bad news to someone, you don't want them mad at you. No, God's message and Moses' message are the same. What God wants, Moses wants. What God feels about the situation, Moses feels. One commentator put it like this, Moses has become someone who feels what God feels. He cannot hide his indignation and anger. So I asked earlier, I'll ask again, why was Moses angry? And the answer in this case is because God was angry. There's a handful of times in recorded scripture of Moses getting angry when he brought down the Ten Commandments and the people were actively sinning, rebelliously sinning. They had taken the gold that they had and they had fashioned a golden calf to worship while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And in his anger, what did Moses do? He broke the tablets. That act of anger, of breaking the tablets of the commandments, and today's account of Moses' anger, neither one of them are chided in scripture, his anger was right. His anger was righteous. His anger in both of those situations was godly. 
But then there was that time where God commanded Moses to speak to a rock. It's going to take us a while to get there in going through Exodus. But there was one time when God commanded Moses, speak to the rock so that it will provide water for the people. And instead of speaking to it, what did he do? In his anger, he struck it. And because of that anger, Moses was prevented from going into the promised land. He was punished heavily for that moment of anger. So not every instance of Moses' anger was a godly anger, but this one was. Telling Pharaoh, there is going to be death that you have never seen before. Every household in your land, there's going to be the firstborn who will die. Every flock, every herd will be decimated because there will be the firstborns who will die. And Moses is angry because God's angry. Why is God angry? God's always angry at sin. God's always angry at rebellion. And here's an opportunity for this one man, Pharaoh, to save all these lives. And he refuses. Our big idea this morning comes from this last section of the passage. God wants our affections to conform to his. Affections, our desires, our feelings, our emotions, our wants. He wants them to conform to his affections what are some of God's affections first and foremost God hates sin my friend do you hate sin if we all hated sin to the degree that God hates sin we would stop sinning So the answer is no, we don't hate sin like God hates sin because we continue to sin. But is that an area we can grow in? Absolutely. Can I grow to know my God more and more so that my heart, my desires, my intents, my affections become more like him and I hate sin more and so I commit sin less? Yes. Because of our weakness, because of our inbuilt sin nature in this physical body, I'm not going to be perfect at it in this lifetime. It's okay. God knows that but I can struggle. I can work to hate sin. God hates sin. God loves people. Do you love people the way God loves people? How does God love people? Back to John 3.16. For God loved the world like so, he gave his only son to die for them. So that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you love people 
the way God loves people. He loves people so much that God the Son died for us. Do you love people enough to die for them? Actually, more to the point, do you love people enough to even tell them that God came as Jesus to die? God wants us to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. The way we do that is by knowing him more. We see evidence in Moses, especially as you track it over time, how more and more Moses is becoming godly. It's a good word. To be godly is to be more and more like our God. Are there ways that we will never be like God? Absolutely. Because he's eternal and we will always be less. But we can grow in our understanding of what truth is even though our world is more and more rejecting truth, we can know what truth is. We can know what goodness is and what evil is. We can pursue our relationship with God that will help us to grow to be kind of like Moses, to where we speak on God's behalf because we know him so well. And that transition between speaking for God and speaking of our own accord kind of blurs together. We can be more like Moses because we feel the things that God feels, hating the things that God hates and loving what he loves. God wants us to love what he loves, hate what he hates, pursue what he desires. And thankfully, we don't have to guess as to what that is. We have his word. We have his church. We have history of the church. We have history of the word. We know what God expects of us if we'll just pursue it. Let's make that true in our lives this year. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for, um, for this new year. How we have laid out in front of us yet 51 more weeks of Opportunities to live for you, opportunities to choose right over evil, opportunities to pursue godliness, opportunities to uh, pursue evangelism, opportunities to help others grow as disciples, opportunities to grow ourselves as disciples. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow this year. Help us to not evaluate things the way the world evaluates them, but to see them through, the, through your eyes, through the lens of, of the gospel. Help us to not be discouraged by the way uh, the world continues to resist uh, godliness, how the world continues to resist and reject truth. Lord Moses was in that same situation the powers that be around him were all anti-God, anti-God's truth. And yet with great confidence and with great boldness, you used him to deliver the greatest message that Pharaoh could receive, and he still rejected. Lord, help us be okay with rejection. 
but help us to continue to share your word, to live a godly life in front of a lost and dying world because we know that you still save people, that you do so through, uh, through your word, through the understanding given by the Spirit when we, your people, go out and share it. Change our hearts, change our desires, our affections to be conformed to yours so that each one of us as your people could grow this year to be more like our Savior. Thank you that you've given us all that we need to do exactly that. We ask that you'd be honored and glorified in us throughout this year. In Jesus' name, amen.